Chapter Twenty Two of the Riddle Ring by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two: What Mister Whaley Did with Himself. Whaley wandered forth into the evening air, his mind filled with all manner of vague, inarticulate thoughts. Something had happened. He could not help thinking. Something which was to alter the course of his life. He did not know what it was or what it could be, but the words which his chief had lately spoken kept ringing in his ears and in his memory. Epoch-making days. He had not thought of such a thing before. He had not realized any such idea, even when Sir Francis Rose had talked about the epoch-making days. But now, somehow, he began to find a problem and a study in it. Is it possible that this was to be an epoch-making day for him? Why had Marmaduke Coffin been summoned to a council from which he was, to all appearances, to be deliberately shut out? He suddenly remembered that he had not yet had any dinner. He was so much accustomed to dine with the chief when they both had an evening to spend together that he had not realized the fact that he was to dine alone on an evening when the chief was to see Marmaduke Coffin later on at the Voyagers, and when he might have expected to dine with the chief, or at least to have a later appointment at the club. "'Come,' he said to himself cheerily, "'I have not been enjoying myself much lately.' I'll go and have a good dinner somewhere, and then I'll go and have a good laugh at one of the halls, meaning thereby, of course, one of the music halls. So, after a moment of deliberation, he called a hansom and drove to the Café Royal in Regent Street. "'Twill do me a lot of good,' he said to himself, "'and knock the cobwebs off me.' He found a small table unoccupied at the Café Royal, and he ordered a nice little dinner and some champagne, and determined to start an evening's enjoyment. And as he was waiting for his dinner, his eyes happened to fall upon a mirror in front of him, and in it he saw a weary, deeply lined, haggard and almost tragical face. And after a second or two of wonder as to why anybody apparently in such a dismal mood should ever come into such a place of entertainment, he suddenly realized the fact that the face of the dismal Johnny was his own countenance. He started a little, and then he said to himself, Quite time to go to one of the halls and be made to laugh. Something's the matter with me. Then, as they were setting his soup before him, he saw another dismal face passing by him, a face as dismal as his own, and he recognised this other knight of the rueful countenance, and he hailed him. "'I say, Mr. Conrad, where are you going to? Come and sit here along of me.' And Jim Conrad stopped, and Conrad's melancholy fizz broke into a smile as he saw Whaley and Conrad sat down beside him with right good will and ordered a dinner, and the pint of champagne was countermanded and a goodly quart bottle was set upon the table. "'You look as if you were down upon your luck,' Whaley observed by way of greeting to his friend. 
i was just going to say the same of you conrad sympathetically observed after he had settled down now were you really now how very odd i'm so glad to have caught hold of you thanks i'm very glad to have been caught hold of the sound of waley's friendly voice was musical in the young man's ears just then i'm rather inclined for a spree to-night waley said have you anything on hand i had a sort of notion of going to one of the music halls i want to be set laughing what do you say all right i'll go and laugh if i can the conversation languished there was a long pause the two were alone at their table quite away from the rest of the little world have a pull at the face waley said thanks conrad answered and he finished a glass of champagne at a draught still the talk somehow did not flow anything the matter with you old man waley asked after another interval as he scanned with kindliness his companion's face i don't know that there is anything very particular or unexpected at all events but what about you about me well i don't know there was another pause and the courses of the dinner went and came then waley suddenly said there was something the chief was saying to me the other day and it did not quite take hold of me at the time but now i begin to feel that it bit in i can't tell you the why and the wherefore but there it is it has caught on to me somehow yes what was it well it was like this don't you know the chief asked me says he don't you find that there are some days which are epoch-making days yes i'm sure those were his words conrad may i call you conrad oh yes by all means why not we are friends ain't we yes i hope so i feel very friendly to you anyhow well and so do i to you conrad said not without a half note of impatience in his voice that's all right you are a man i know i can trust and i tell you that you can trust me you needn't tell me i do trust you all right what were we talking about about what rose called epoch-making days yes yes how did it pass for a moment out of my head well he asked me if i didn't find that some days seemed to be epoch-making days when one felt that something was going to happen that might change the whole run of one's life yes and what did you say well i said like a fool i suppose and i had never particularly noticed anything of the kind have you ever had any such ideas about any day that ever made an impression upon you yes waley i have had such ideas jim's mind went back at once to the day when he found his mystic ring and he felt that that was indeed an epoch-making day in his life see that now i suppose it was want of education and book-reading and poetry and all that sort of thing in me but do you know i never had any thought of the kind in my mind up to that time not up to that time and now 
now i think i do begin to understand the feeling i have a strong notion in my mind that these last few days mean something to me something that may mean a big change in my life only i don't know what it is all about or what is going to come of it no not the least little bit in the world why trouble yourself about it waley lord bless you how do i know i can't help troubling myself about it the feeling is there don't you know i can't get rid of it jim began to listen with some genuine interest to his friend's vague outpouring as to his condition of mind he had come to have a high opinion of waley's robust and manly good sense and he well knew that up to that time waley's one central idea had been that of a spaniel-like devotion to his master whatever doubt or brooding was in his mind must jim felt assured be a doubt or brooding on that subject the doubt or the brooding coincided very curiously with certain doubts which had been springing up in jim's own mind during the last few days but he did not want to get any deeper into waley's confidence than waley was himself willing that he should penetrate so he remained silent for a moment or two then waley began again as if with an effort to toss the whole subject away well well he said there's no use in making ourselves uncomfortable by talking over all that kind of gloomy thing now you are right about that why trouble ourselves when the thing comes whatever it is we shall know all about it eh look here let's talk of something else how about patagonia about patagonia yes what about patagonia when shall you be ready to go out there nothing had been farther from jim's mind for many days than the idea of his going out to patagonia just then i don't quite understand what you want of me in patagonia well if it comes to that no more do i but the chief is very keen about it what does he want me to do in patagonia oh that of course he'll tell you he always knows exactly what he wants i can tell you enough to start you when you are ready to go he'll tell you all the rest waley said jim gravely i have something to do in london just now when that is over i am ready to go to patagonia or any other part of the world as soon as you want me to go the sooner the better for me will it take long waley asked in a low and kindly tone well what take long oh come don't you see the thing that you want to settle it occurred to jim that it might take long indeed if he were to attempt a final settlement of that trouble that it might admit of no final settlement that the best efforts he could make might only tend to unsettlement but he merely answered i can't tell you just yet waley the chief wants you to go at once at once has he told you so told me so to-day and even as waley was speaking the thought went across his mind for the first time why does the chief want this young fellow out of london and then another flash of guesswork came on him 
and he sat following its light in his uncouth sort of way, and there was silence again for a moment or two. "'You're in trouble, old pal, ain't you?' he began, in the kindliest tone his voice could assume. "'And I wonder if you might tell me what it is. I'm ever so much older than you, and I've knocked about the world twenty times more than you have. Could I help you at all?' "'No, Whaley, thanks, my dear fellow. I am afraid there is nothing to be done, and I am not sure that the world would call it a trouble of mine. Well, I couldn't explain, even if I had any right to explain. And I am not a very good hand at explanation, anyhow. "'Nobody is who feels a thing,' Whaley said sympathetically. "'Why, I have a doubt and a trouble on my own mind just at this moment, "'and be hanged if I could explain them to myself, "'not to talk of explaining them to other folk. "'But your trouble, don't think me too rude or too curious, "'it is something about a woman, ain't it now?' "'He put his big hand gently and kindly on Jim Conrad's knee. "'Jim winced a little.' flushed a little, and then said manfully, "'Yes, Whaley, old man, I don't mind confessing to you that much. It is about a woman. Don't ask me any more.' "'My dear boy, not another word. I've been through that sort of thing myself lots of times. You say I can't help you at all?' Jim shook his head. "'Could the chief help you?' The question was put in perfect innocence, but it made Jim Conrad start and wince and grow red. "'No, no, no,' he said sharply. "'I don't care to talk about the matter any more, Whaley.' Now, the vague suspicion that had come up at first in Whaley's mind was an idea that Conrad might be in love with some girl whose attractions had somehow got hold of the chief also. Whaley firmly believed the chief to be irresistible in his love-making, and Whaley's general notions of women were drawn from experiences in which educated varieties of taste did not reckon for very much. Whaley had accepted as a position governing all others the fact that the chief was irresistible to women. If he was irresistible to one woman, why not to all women? Was not that the common sense of it? So he took it at once for granted that Jim Conrad's trouble was simply because his mash, as Whaley would have called her, had taken it into her silly feminine head to fall in love with Sir Francis Rose. He spoke out on the spur of the moment, incautious to those whom he believed to be his friends, while cautious as a red Indian to human beings of the outer range. "'I don't think you need have any trouble of mind about the chief in that way, Conrad, my son,' he said, with a genial, reassuring smile. "'In what way?' Jim asked, all amazed. "'Oh, well, don't you know, in that way. Look here, I'll tell you a secret, and of course you won't breathe a word of it to a mortal. It's this. The chief has fallen in love.' "'With whom do you think? You would never guess. With his own wife.' 
yes sure as death and i am confoundedly sorry for it because it may spoil him for many a good enterprise ah oh, by jove these women how they do come across us at every hand's turn yes he's fallen in love with his own wife all over again and he wants to get her back to him and i tell you if he wants to get her back he'll get her back i suppose anyhow it's better than falling in love with some woman who isn't his wife more moral and all that i say old man this ought to be good news for you and yet somehow you don't look quite as if it was i say sit up and tell us what is the matter jim had indeed for the moment fallen quite out of time he could hardly catch on at first to the train of ideas which waley had in his mind when waley endeavoured to reassure him by telling him that the chief had fallen in love again with the chief's own wife even still it was but a vague perception of the notion that came over him that however was a poor and altogether secondary consideration the one thought uppermost in his mind was fixed upon waley's declaration that rose had again fallen in love with his wife and was determined to get her back i can't believe it waley he exclaimed he doesn't care three straws about her he deserted her he cast her away he flung her from him in her youth and her beauty and oh good heavens what am i talking about blessed if i know waley said very gravely while for all his disclaimer of knowledge a shrewd suspicion was beginning to creep in and to light its little glow-worm lamp or firefly lamp as it might be in the dusk of uncertainty oh that's the way he said to his own soul never mind waley jim said hurriedly let's not talk of this any more i don't suppose i quite know what i am talking about i say did i drink too much of that champagne no tain't that waley said in a kindly tone just look at the bottle and help yourself again and then pass it on don't you see by this time waley with his natural shrewdness pricked further on by the secrecy of the chief had come to the conviction that something serious was being planned about which he had not been consulted and was not to be consulted and which threatened to be serious for jim conrad the rights and the wrongs of the matter were wholly unknown to him but he was very anxious to know something about them suddenly he started off on the track of blunt inquiry and having gulped down another glass of champagne he burst out i say look here old pal you haven't been making love to the chief's wife or anything of that kind have you poor jim's barrier of reserve quite broke down i didn't know she was his wife he said the conversation was carried on almost in a whisper i didn't know she was anybody's wife oh but you do know now 
oh yes i do know now she told me what do you mean to do to save her from him if i can he's a brute and a beast and a scoundrel look here conrad waley interposed not ungently i can't stand hearing this said of the chief it wouldn't be proper on my part and i shan't all right conrad replied then you need not stand it i shall leave you to yourself good night so conrad started up from the table now 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 waley said soothingly see how hot and hasty you young chaps are sit down again conrad my son by jove you might be a son of mine so far as years go anyhow look here i am a good deal on your side of this business lately although i know very little about it i can't tell you anything said jim sitting down again however don't want you to tell me a word more than you feel at liberty to tell to a true friend if my honourable friend will allow me so to call him waley said with a vague recollection of what he had heard now and then when he sat in one of the galleries of the house of commons well there jim murmured i was in love with her before i knew that she was married and she had no reason to tell me her secret at first but when she found out that i was in love with her when i told her so in fact then she let me know that she was married and that her husband had deserted her and that there could be nothing between us between her and me but only friendship and that at a distance oh good god how i felt i knew that her husband was a scoundrel but i didn't know who he was now now you only know one side of the story see here waley has he deserted his wife or has he not well if you press me for an answer i am afraid he has and now does he want to get her back oh yes i told you so he has fallen madly in love with her all over again yes but does he know that she has lately come in for a large fortune does he know that waley i am afraid he does know that in fact he told me so and is that the renewal of love well you see the chief is a man of what people call a complex character i suppose the money may have something to do with it yes i dare say jim interjected grimly i know i know but i don't think it has everything to do with it i don't believe it's the money and nothing else the chief is a sort of man who can't bear to be cut out of anything or left out of anything so long as he had merely dropped the young woman it didn't seem to matter much to him stay now i'm only putting the case from his point of view and it's no use fussing but of course when it came to his wanting to get hold of the young woman again and she not wanting to be got hold of by him why that don't you see is another pair of shoes 
well now what do you propose to do he is her husband ain't he unhappily he is he hasn't lost any of his rights he hasn't deserted for long enough has he unhappily no very well then where do you come in you don't want her to run away with you now do you waley don't talk in that infernal way i wonder what she would say to me if i were to hint at such a thing i know i know waley said in a conciliatory tone not meaning that he knew precisely what words the lady would use under such conditions but that he knew she would say exactly what jim conrad assumed that she would be sure to say she isn't like the women we meet in the world waley i want you from the first from the very first to understand that yes yes of course i quite understand that the chief told me as much as that himself he took it all upon himself said it was all his own fault and that he was not worthy of her you know that sort of thing waley added with the best purpose but with perhaps a little want of tact she is the purest and noblest woman that ever lived jim burst out again and then shot an eager glance around him to make sure that nobody had heard him yes yes of course she is they all are waley said again with the kindest purpose but again with a little want of tact but you see that only makes the difficulty all the greater what do you propose to do you know that she is married you know that her husband is going to claim her again you know that she is a woman who wouldn't run away with you or anyone else then what in the world do you propose to do i'll tell you what i propose to do waley i am not such a fool as you suppose never said you were a fool of any sort dear boy never supposed it give you my word of honour doesn't matter doesn't matter whether you did or not what i want to do now is to get her free from him if i can if i feel sure that she is free from him i shall be content never to see her again yes i shall i should be willing to enter into a bond never to see her again never never in all my life if only i could know that she was free from him and to bring that about waley i'll do all that i can and i tell you i shall think little of any possible danger to myself if i can secure that freedom for her you are a good chap waley said slowly and i believe in my soul you mean all that you say but how do you propose to get her away from him she has friends jim answered she has one great friend a woman who will go to the farthest end of the earth with her i shall help them to get away you can't he will find them out he will do anything when he has set his heart upon it his heart his heart has he any heart well i thought he had once upon a time and i hope he has still i do believe honest injun 
that he has set his heart upon her again. I do believe that he is really in love with her. He's an awfully odd sort of man, but he'll have his way.' "'Waley,' said Conrad, speaking in a low, suppressed tone, "'sooner than that he should get hold of her again, I'll kill him.' "'My good fellow,' Waley answered in the calmest voice, "'if you come between him and any design of his, he is much more likely to kill you.' Waley meant what he said. During all their talk, he had been turning over in his mind some vague possibilities. "'Let him, if he can,' Conrad said. "'I'll see to that. If I am attacked from behind, I can't protect myself. And my life, like the life of everybody else, is at the mercy of any assassin. Why?' There was a man killed not fifty yards from this very place last night, here in the West End of London. I can only take my chance of that. If anyone attacks me from the front, I fancy I can give a good account of myself and of him. But I'll not let him get hold of her if I can help it. No, not if I were to kill him. Let us think this over, Waley said, and talk it over another time as soon as we can. I want to pass it all through my mind, you see, and size it up, if I can, and see what it all comes to. We are talking of killing as if we were in some parts of the world where I have been, and where anybody who likes kills anybody he dislikes, and very few questions asked about the business afterwards. But I'll look into the matter, and tell you what idea I get of it. It wants some cool thinking over. Of course, we keep all this to ourselves for the present. Of course, of course. Very good. I'll let you know. I dare say you don't feel much inclined for any of the halls tonight. Oh, no, not I. No more do I. Let's go. So they parted. Waley kept asking himself as he wandered towards his lodgings, was it for this Coffin was brought over, or for this and something else? He had had Sir Francis Rose's own assurance that he meant to get hold of his wife by fair means or foul, and that idea at the time did not seem wholly to shock Waley's moral sense which, indeed, had stood a good deal of shocking already. But it was clear that, since he had failed quite to fall in enthusiastically with his patron's ideas on this subject, he had been left somewhat out in the shade, and this very night he had noticed how the face of the chief grew dark when he spoke of the necessity of getting Conrad out of the way, to Patagonia or anywhere else. And now Coffin was on the scene, and Coffin had been summoned over in the first instance, and according to the usual fashion, through him, Waley, and now, behold, he was put aside, and Coffin was taken into lonely confidence. Was it that Coffin was summoned in the first instance to help in nothing but the carrying off of Rose's own wife? an enterprise in which Waley might possibly have been expected to assist. 
was it possible that now his help might be required for a darker deed waley's much revolving mind brooded deeply over this possibility as he went his way through the flashing and clattering streets End of chapter 22